Good afternoon. It is Friday, May 1, 2020. That means it is May Day. Um, if this were a regular year, you'd of course have, have baseball games to listen to, baseball games to watch. Uh, we don't have that this year, but I found something today that I thought uh, you might find interesting. The website uh, baseballreference.com is using a baseball simulator to uh, basically simulate an entire season, uh, the 2020 baseball season, uh, which of course has not started and may not start. Um, but uh, according to the stats in the National League East, the former uh, uh, division of the Montreal Expos. The Atlanta Braves have a five-game lead on the Mets, a six-and-a-half game lead on the Nationals, and going across uh, the league, the uh, New York Yankees have one of the best records in baseball with 23-10. and 10. Um, If you are interested in seeing this and if you have access to the internet, you can go to baseball-reference.com. Something to brighten your day. I kind of liked it. Um, on today's episode of the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service, uh, we have a couple of items for you. First up, we have You've Got to Read This with Danielle Belanger. Danielle is one of our librarians, and she has uh, four books for you that she's going to be talking about. Norman Deutsch, MD, is a psychiatrist, psychoanalyst, researcher, author, essayist, and poet. We also have another edition of the Corona Serenades. Uh, This is uh, Smile by Charlie Chaplin, and it's being sung by uh, the French soprano Anne-Marine Suir. Finally, we have another musical moment by Farah Mohammed. Farah is going to be discussing May Day, uh, which is uh, the resurrection of spring, and that's how it was viewed sort of historically. So all the music selections uh, that she has have to do with that uh, happy topic. So that is the episode for today. And here is Danielle. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Danielle Belanger, one of your Code St. Luke librarians and also manager of library programs and user experience at the Eleanor London Code St. Luke Public Library. I hope you and your loved ones are keeping safe and taking care of each other in these trying times. Today on my first episode of You've Gotta Read This, I'll share my recommendations for four books. Lessons, My Path to a Meaningful Life by Giselle Bundchen, The Brain That Changes Itself, Stories of Personal Triumph from the Frontiers of Brain Science by Norman Deutsch, An Anonymous Girl by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekinen, and Nine Perfect Strangers by Leanne Moriarty. The first book recommendation I'd like to share with you is Lessons, My Path to a Meaningful Life by Giselle Bündchen. This is a memoir from a supermodel and philanthropist who also happens to be the wife of one of the most revered professional football players on the face of the earth, Tom Brady. In this book, you'll discover Giselle's modest upbringing in Southern Brazil, the importance she places on family from a young age, her love of animals and her deep connection to the earth and nature, as well as her passion for continued efforts made to preserve the environment. The book discusses how she was first discovered by an agent in Sao Paulo at 13, or scouted as they say in the industry, and her career quickly catapulted to a level of success she never would have imagined. 
It also emphasizes her very strong work ethic, sense of discipline and determination as key factors for achieving all that she did so quickly. The book doesn't shy away from examining her lowest point as well, a very sad time where she suffered from crippling anxiety in the form of severe panic attacks that made her feel like walls were closing in on her and which ultimately drove her to contemplate suicide. The bulk of this book, however, focuses on Giselle's desire to impart some of her life lessons to readers in order to help others by providing a sort of guide map through what she has learned over her almost 40 years on this planet in order to live a happier, healthier, more fulfilling life. The book for me was something I describe as refreshing because it highlighted what really lies behind the surface of this undeniable natural beauty. A person who has depth, an enormous amount of energy to help others, and a surprising amount of wisdom. In her book, Giselle reveals she's extremely sensitive, compassionate, disciplined, and a lifelong learner. In a world so consumed by appearances and image, it was quite revealing to discover how the supermodel managed a successful career by creating somewhat of a double life, by entirely distancing the persona of Giselle and the Giselle who is her true self. This allowed her to keep her personal life more balanced and reduce feelings of being personally attacked or feeling overly vulnerable. I enjoyed the way in which she describes how important and rewarding her role as a mother has been, along with the descriptions of the amount of sacrifice that it did require from her. If you're anything like me, you'll also enjoy the photos throughout the book that show different aspects of both her professional and personal life. Without revealing too much more about the book itself, and so you'll still consider reading it, I'll just say a few last things about it. Giselle credits yoga, meditation, and clean, healthy eating habits as contributing factors to turning her life around once she realized she was extremely depressed and living her life at a pace that couldn't be maintained without severe health consequences. She asks that if you retain only one of the many lessons imparted in her book, it be the following, and I quote, Most important, we are all life and we are all love. If you can connect with that one lesson, you'll ultimately be a happier person. The second book recommendation I'd like to share with you is The Brain That Changes Itself, Stories of Personal Triumph from the Frontiers of Brain Science by Norman Deutsch. I know what you might be thinking right now. Did this woman just go from talking about a supermodel to discussing a book on neuroscience? Yes, you'd be right. My brain does work in mysterious ways, and I do enjoy reading about a variety of different topics, both fiction and nonfiction. This book is one I read a few years back, but do remember that it had really opened my eyes to something I knew very little about and still find completely and utterly fascinating. The idea that there is scientifically proven possibility to both strengthen and, in certain cases, redirect our brain's activities and responses from one area to another, that is, to rewire our brains. Simply said, the concept of neuroplasticity is defined as the ability of the brain to grow and change. 
Changes to the brain occur over time and allow individuals to adapt to new situations or changes in their environment. It is sometimes referred to as brain plasticity because it means our brains are designed to change throughout our lifetime. Changes in the brain can be structural, such as differences in size, shape, and density. Changes can also occur to the organizational function of the brain. This means that new connections can be made within the brain and that existing connections can be strengthened. The idea of the brain area having within its core composition an element similar to plastic in nature, be it that it's malleable and changeable, is extremely interesting purely as a concept in my opinion. More than that, however, it is extremely encouraging in scientific practice because it means that there are possibilities that exist to rewire the brain's responses from one area to another when one of the areas becomes affected through a brain injury. Who exactly is the author of the best-selling nonfiction book, you may wonder? Norman Deutsch, MD, is a psychiatrist, psychoanalyst, researcher, author, essayist, and poet. He's on faculty at the University of Toronto's Department of Psychiatry and research faculty at Columbia University's Center for Psychoanalytic Training and Research in New York. He is the author of two New York Times bestsellers and lives in Toronto. In this book, the objective was to bring to light the importance of the premise that the brain is not, as was originally thought, like a machine or hardwired like a computer. Neuroplasticity not only gives hope to those with mental limitation or what was thought to be incurable brain damage, but expands our understanding of the healthy brain and the resilience of human nature. In Western culture, we have had a much more difficult time coming to terms with this concept on our own. But in Eastern culture, the beneficial effects of meditation on the brain have been harnessed for years. Perhaps here is where there's a slight connection with my first book recommendation, even though at first thought I'm sure you wouldn't think there would be any link between the two works. Giselle Bündchen meditates on a daily basis and has said it has helped her immensely when it comes to problem solving or being creative, and especially when looking for clarity. When the framework of neuroplasticity is applied to meditation, it is suggested that the mental training of meditation is fundamentally no different than other forms of skill acquisition that can induce plastic changes in the brain. Researchers from the University of Wisconsin using the latest in MRI brain imaging technology have shown that meditation naturally and beneficially increases the neural mass, the gray matter, of the brain by harnessing the brain's neuroplastic potential. The implications of this finding are immense, with meditation being the front runner as the very best brain exercise. In addition, meditation promotes what scientists call whole brain thinking. In this book, you will find an inspiring collection of case histories detailing the progress of people whose conditions had long been dismissed as hopeless. You'll read about a woman born with half a brain that rewires itself to work as a whole, blind people learning to see, learning disorders cured, IQs raised, stroke patients recovering their faculties, and much more. Enjoy the read and be inspired that the human body and how it works never ceases to amaze and bewilder.
The third book recommendation I'd like to share with you is An Anonymous Girl by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekinen. Greer Hendricks is the co-author of the New York Times bestseller The Wife Between Us. Prior to becoming a novelist, she spent two decades as an editor at Simon & Schuster. She obtained her master's degree in journalism from Columbia University, and her writing has appeared in The New York Times, Allure, and Publishers Weekly. She lives in Manhattan with her husband and two children. Sarah Pekinen is the internationally and USA Today best-selling author of eight previous solo novels and co-author of the New York Times bestseller, The Wife Between Us. A former investigative journalist and award-winning feature writer, she has published work in the Washington Post, USA Today, and many others. She is the mother of three sons and lives just outside Washington, D.C. At the heart of the psychological thriller lies Jessica, a struggling makeup artist who agrees to participate in a study being led by psychologist Dr. Shields. What begins as answering a relatively simple questionnaire for some quick extra cash becomes an in-depth and hauntingly personal study on ethics and morality. As the book progresses, Jess feels more and more uncomfortable with the tests designed by Dr. Shields and slowly but surely begins, begins questioning the doctor's motives as she grows increasingly paranoid of what she's being asked to do. In this book, Jess is forced to confront a past she's been running from and reconcile her own deep-seated feelings of guilt. The style of this book is sleek, fast-paced, and very readable. There are many plot elements that add to the twists and turns, but simply said, if you enjoy the idea of reading about doubt, passion, and just how much you can truly trust someone, this is likely to be a great choice for you. The story is told in the first-person perspective of Jess and the second-person perspective for Dr. Shields. Other characters that will be of particular interest are Becky, Thomas, and April. The most important dynamic, however, is between the two women central to the book, Jess and Dr. Shields. I personally appreciated the deliberate intention of the authors to portray each woman as multidimensional, both able to adapt and adjust and cast spells over each other. Questions examined throughout the book that will keep you wanting to read are, could you tell a lie without feeling guilt? Have you ever deeply hurt someone you care about? And, should the punishment always fit the crime? Another interesting theme of the novel is assumptions and image. The main character leads her parents to believe she's doing makeup for Broadway shows, when in fact her day job is much less glamorous. The character of Dr. Shield is at first presumed to be a man, and when it comes to be revealed that she is in fact not, Jess's feelings about how she responded to the questionnaire immediately shift. She becomes more suspicious of a woman asking these particular types of questions than she would have had the same questions come from a man. She also immediately feels more vulnerable, exposed, and scrutinized. Does this say anything about the way women often innately just find themselves competing with one another? This again is one of the mind-bending questions posed that will keep you on your toes. Here's an excerpt from the very beginning of the book that also serves as a cautionary tale 
and insight into what kind of a ride the reader will be in for. Friday, November 16. A lot of women want the world to see them in a certain way. It's my job to create those transformations one 45-minute session at a time. My clients seem different when I finish helping them. They grow more confident, radiant, happier even. But I can only offer them a temporary fix. People invariably revert to their former selves. True change requires more than the tools I wield. The fourth book recommendation I'd like to share with you is Nine Perfect Strangers by Leanne Moriarty. Leanne Moriarty is the Australian-born author of several internationally best-selling novels, including The Husband's Secret, Big Little Lies, and Truly Madly Guilty. Her books have been read by millions worldwide. She lives in Sydney with her husband, son, and daughter. Here are a few words about the premise for this book, which will also be adapted for television and was originally set to air on Hulu at some point in 2021 and will star Nicole Kidman in the role of Masha. Nine people come together for a health and wellness retreat at Tranquillum House, an opulent resort in remote New South Wales, each hoping for a transformation of one sort or another. Their issues are very different, but Masha Dmitrychenko, the larger-than-life owner and director of the resort, is convinced that her unconventional interventions will successfully cure them. As the 10-day program progresses, Masha's fanatic tendencies ramp up and guests become increasingly uneasy about her methods. Once they realize she's been administering illegal drugs as part of their so-called therapy, events take a turn for the worse. The nine guests find themselves locked in a windowless room, terrified and feeling deceived, all the while feeling help helpless and incapable of solving the puzzle that Masha has proclaimed would set them free. Some of the themes in this novel are universal, such as human nature, dissecting the ins and outs of both marriage and divorce, and the importance of talking through the grief caused by the loss of a loved one in a family unit. Other themes seem more timely, like the ever-popular health and wellness craze, the incessant obsession surrounding a woman's personal appearance and body image, especially in Western culture, and the desire of many to find a way to transcend our physical realities and achieve some sort of clarity and higher self type of feeling through just about any means, like intense meditation, for example, or in the novel's case, by hallucinogenic drugs. If you're a fan of following several storylines simultaneously in one book, you'll enjoy this read tremendously. If you prefer learning everything there is to know about one or two characters, this may, however, not be the best fit. Masha, as we discussed briefly earlier, is the person at the helm of the retreat. She's tough as nails, as strong as a horse, disciplined, and the personification of a type A personality. She'll stop at nothing in her path to achieve perfections. The intricacies of how Masha's mind operates could have merited a whole novel to discover in itself, to dissect and to ponder. We also get to know and warm up to Frances Welty, the formerly best-selling romantic novelist who arrived at the wellness resort nursing a bad back and a broken heart. 
a younger couple who recently won the lottery and how that affected their lives this is, not, is another storyline that some may enjoy. There's also the story of Lars and how he hadn't given his life partner enough consideration when he'd asked that they adopt a child together. You'll also meet Napoleon, Heather, and Zoe, who come to the resort as a family, and it is later revealed that the loss of Zoe's brother has left a deep void nobody has been able to properly address. There's also Carmel, who was dumped for a younger woman and needs to rebuild her self-confidence. Here is an excerpt from the novel which describes Francis getting very close to the wellness resort. There was a sign, she squinted. Tranquillum House, it said. Left turn ahead, said her GPS. Yes, I know, I see it. She met her own eyes in the rearview mirror and tried to give herself a wry, isn't life interesting look. Frances had always enjoyed the idea of parallel universes in which multiple versions of herself tried out different lives. One where she was a CEO instead of an author, one where she was a mother of two or four or six kids instead of none, one where she hadn't divorced Saul and one where she hadn't divorced Henry, but for the most part, she'd always felt satisfied or at least accepting of the universe in which she found herself. Except for right now, because right now it felt there had been some sort of cataclysmic quantum physics administrative error. She slipped universes. She was meant to be on a high. She was meant to be high on lust and love in America, not pain-ridden and grief-stricken in Australia. It was just wrong, unacceptable. And yet here she was, there was nothing else to do, nowhere else to turn. God damn it, she said, and turned left. The novel is written in the third person from the point of view of the main characters. Their stories and observations enable readers to learn about them and the way they view the others. The point of view shows how the characters who grow do so. Readers will see how the characters grow by learning about their past and seeing their present. In the novel, each character must share their own past because they didn't know each other prior to coming to the resort. By the end of the novel, almost all loose ends seem to quickly get tied up, and despite Masha's outrageous behavior and punishment, she becomes even more sought after than she was before she illegally drugged her guests at the wellness center. If you haven't read anything by Leanne Moriarty yet, I would suggest you begin with the husband's, the husband's Secret. If you're reading everything by this author that's become available and have made it up to this novel, then by all means, enjoy the ride. It's definitely a fun summer read, and I look forward to the small screen version if the project ever does come to fruition. I hope you've enjoyed my first episode, and will share more recommendations with you next time. Hi, this is Wakun Chen, editor of La Chene Musicale magazine and co-founder of the Corona Serenades. The coronavirus has forced us all into social isolation. La Chene Musicale is mobilizing an international movement to deliver the joy of music with Corona Serenades. We would like to thank the Kosing Loop Public Library for supporting this initiative and to all in Kosing Loop, be well and stay safe. You can find out more by visiting coronaserenades.com. Today's serenade is Smile by Charlie Chaplin, 
sung by French soprano Anne-Marie Sweer, accompanied by pianist Emmanuel Christian. To another musical moment. My name is Farah Mohammed, and my topic today is May Day. Let me clarify first by stating that I don't mean the emergency word used internationally as a distress signal in radio communications. What I mean is that May Day is the first day of May, which of course is today, and it is traditionally a celebration or festival of spring and the resurrection of nature after the long and cold winter months. It is normally associated with flowers, dancing, and maypoles, with celebrations sometimes including the crowning of a May King or May Queen. The Celts of the British Isles believed May 1st to be the most important day of the year when the Festival of Beltane was held. This festival was thought to divide the year in half between the light and the dark. Symbolic fire was one of the main rituals of the festival, helping to celebrate the return of life and fertility to the world. May Day has Roman origins as well. When the Romans took over the British Isles, they brought with them their five-day celebration, known as Floralia, devoted to the worship of the goddess of flowers, Flora. This was a celebration of fertility and nature, 
that took place around early May. The rituals of the celebration were eventually combined with the Celtic festival of Beltane. Another popular May Day tradition involves the Maypole. While the exact origins of the Maypole remain unknown, the annual traditions surrounding it can be traced back to medieval times, and some are still celebrated today. Villagers would enter the woods to find a maypole that had been set up for the day in small towns or sometimes permanently in larger cities. The day's festivities involved merriment as people would dance around the pole clad with colorful streamers and ribbons. Historians believe the first maypole dance originated as part of a fertility ritual where the pole symbolized male fertility and baskets and reeds symbolized female fertility. During the 19th and 20th centuries, the May Basket Day was celebrated across the country where baskets were created with flowers, candies, and other treats and hung on the doors of friends, neighbors, and loved ones on May 1st. So for today's selection of music, I hope to reflect these themes of love and nature and good cheer as we celebrate May Day in our own special way. To honor the Celtic tradition of May Day, we'll start things off with a calm and soothing instrumental piece of music called Spring, played on the Celtic harp. a bit of frivolity, Renaissance style. Now is the month of Maying is one of the most famous of the English ballets. A ballet is a light dance-like part song similar to a madrigal. And one very frequent characteristic are the words in the refrain, fa-la-la-la. It was written by Thomas Morley and published in 1595. The song delights in body double entendres as it describes merry lads and bonny lasses frolicking about upon the greeny grass. So let's take a listen to this frothy and delightful number. Now is the month of Maying. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now is the month of May when Mary lights up plain. Fa la 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 la. Fa la 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 la. Now is the month of May when Mary lights up plain. Fa la 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 la. Fa la 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 la. Each with his bonny lass upon the greeny grass. Fa la 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 la. Each with his bonny lass. Upon the greeny grass, the spring clad all in gladness to laugh at winter sadness. The spring clad all in gladness to laugh at winter sadness. And to the back I sound. The nymphs spread out their crowns. La 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 la. And to the backpipe song, the nymphs spread out their crowns. La 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 la. Why then, why sit we musing? You sweet delight refusing. La 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 la. Why then, why sit we musing? You sweet delight refusing. Say dainty lips and speak. Shall we play barley bread? Say dainty lips and speak. Shall we play barley bread? Next is the first song of a collection of sixteen songs entitled "Dichterliebe," or "The Poet's Love," composed in 1840. This is the best-known song cycle of Robert Schumann. The texts to these songs were written by German poet Heinrich Heine, filled with imagery of flowers, dreams, and fairy tales. This kind of poetic writing is very representative of the German Romantic style. The first song that we will listen to is called "Im Wunderschönen Monat Mai," or in English, "In the Wonderfully Beautiful Month of May." Written for tenor with piano accompaniment, the text to this song is as follows: "In the Wonderfully Beautiful Month of May, when all the buds are bursting open." There, from my own heart, bursts forth my own love. In the wonderfully beautiful month of May, when all the birds are singing, so have I confessed to her my yearning and my longing. Here we see the themes of nature and love, and the music is quite descriptive of the young man's wistfulness and deep longing.
And now for something completely different. Here is a song called April Showers. This lovely number is a popular song with music written by Louis Silvers and lyrics by B.G. De Silva. It was introduced in the 1921 Broadway musical Bombo, where it was performed by Al Jolson. It became a very well-known Jolson standard. However, let's hear the golden voice of Bing Crosby sing these charming lyrics. Though April showers may come your way, they bring the flowers that bloom in May. So if it's raining, have no regrets. Because it isn't raining rain, you know. It's raining violets. Oh, April showers May come your way They bring the flowers That bloom in May So if it's raining Have no regrets Because it isn't raining rain You know it's raining violets And where you see clouds Upon the hills You soon will see crowds Of daffodils So keep on looking For a bluebird And listening for his song Whenever April showers Come Because it isn't raining rain You know it's raining violets And where you see clouds upon the hills You soon will see crowds of daffodils So keep on looking for a bluebird selection, I'd like to play a wonderfully lively number called Cuban Spring. However, much to my surprise and great delight, this Cuban Spring is based on the music of Antonio Vivaldi's Spring Violin Concerto from his Four Seasons. Just to refresh your memory, here are the opening bars of Vivaldi's Spring. 
And here is Cuban Spring, which is based on Vivaldi's work. See if you can recognize Vivaldi's music. This is most definitely a Cuban twist on a much beloved Baroque classic. enjoyed today's musical moment and that perhaps you too were able to celebrate May Day by doing a little dance in your living room or kitchen.
In these times of uncertainty and hardship, music can be a wonderful comfort. Just turn up the volume, close your eyes, and let the music take over, even if it's for a short while. Thanks for listening, and take good care. Bye for now. Thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, as always, if you are listening on the phone, we have another uh, special item for you. Uh, if you are listening on the internet, well, that's the show. Have a great day.